Warning, the following episode of The Zone of Truth contains major spoilers for episodes 74 and 75 of the Hideous Laughter podcast. Listener discretion is advised. This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I bring on Emily to discuss the life, times, and passing of everyone's favorite Oracle of the Waves, Lyra. We review what went wrong in episode 74, talk about character death in TTRPGs, and answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save and get rid of Bardic performance off that character sheet. You're in the zone of truth. And we're back. And we're back. Yep. A very morose recording of the Zone of Truth. <sighs> yeah, man. It's tough. We just recorded episode 75, so all the sad funeral stuff is done. Yeah, I think that was a that was a great order of operations we put in there cuz now we're all in the mindset to kind of talk about Lyra. Mhm. After episode 75 and holy shit. I mean, you guys did a phenomenal job of that send off, but I'm really excited to see the fan reaction to 75. I think a lot of people obviously uh, reached out to us about 74 Um, people that were um, not upset or frustrated, but, you know, just kind of like, oh, my God, I can't believe we lost this great character. Griff finally got one, those kind of folks. But we didn't really have an opportunity as a party or really even as people to pay our respects, to really move past it. And I think episode 75 is one where we're able to do that. It just happened really fast. (laughs) I mean, that's what happens when it's ability damage, ability drain. It just it, it sneaks up on you very quickly. And something like con damage just... It'll take you out. I mean, it's just one of those things where every time you take a multiple of two, you're down your level and hit points. And if you're really down scraping the barrel, you're going to die. Well, let's just get it over with. Hi, Emily. Hello. I was trying to transition there. It didn't really work. Um but thanks for joining us. Who else would we have on here? <laughs> right. I, I, and, I, and I blew it early. I know. But, you know, I, th- I think it's important that we have this opportunity to chat with Emily and talk about Lyra and what's next and all of that. So thanks for subjecting yourself to this after losing a character and having to create a character in a week and all that kind of stuff. It'll be good to get to talk about it more, kind of flesh everything out. And I mean, just the reactions that I personally received after Lyra's death were so touching. It was great to see how much people were connecting with her and excited about where she was going to go. I want to correct you for a moment, Steve, because Emily is my most prepared player. Her backup that came in in 75, I almost introduced this backup character in the the Christmas Evil interlude from over a year ago, that's that's true. We so, were talking about this the Horace Christmas party, yeah, the right? Horace Christmas party. This character has been in the in the works for over a year, which makes me so excited to um, to get to meet her. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously, I'm 
upset. We're all upset. I, I didn't, I honestly didn't think, um, I was going to get the kill off on Lyra. It happened, but, um, but I just had to correct you there. Emily's been prepared for, uh, for this for a long, long time. Even if, uh, you know, you're never really prepared for a character you put that much of yourself into to die. Well, guys, it sounds like we're already getting into the meat of that, those last couple episodes and where we're going from here, but I got to do some housekeeping up at the top. What's everyone drinking tonight? How would you start us off, Emily? I have the last Paps Blue Ribbon hard coffee. See, this is why I killed your character. <laughs> is, is it too late to get another guest for this episode? <laughs> oh, she's yep, going to be wilding out. She's going to oh, be wilding out this episode. Okay, and Griff, yourself? I'm uh, I'm drinking another Conjoined Sins uh, Dark Sour from Levante and um, an Imprint Brewing. But I'll be diving into a Peppermint Palace White Stout from Levante in T-minus five minutes. Good stuff, man. I, myself, just cracked into a can of hams, and I'm about to play a little Sirenscape, and we can really get this party started. Oh, man, your resolution's going strong. It's going great. Good for you, man. All right, so... Here's what I'm going to play. I am going to play the same kind of beautiful, eerie, sad, um, resonant music that was playing during Lyra's flashback, or I don't even know if it's right to call it a flashback, maybe just an insight into her soul passing on as she slipped below the waves. This is coming from the Shimmering Veil sound set. It's just the track Shimmering. It's actually kind of funny you bring that up, Steve, because Emily had reached out to me, geez, like at least 30 episodes ago, if not more, to talk about this kind of like death sequence that you had in mind. Um, And it just happened so quickly in 74 with the just strike of the con damage taking her out instead of like her bleeding out over a couple of rounds that we didn't actually get into it. Do you want to talk a little bit about like what what this concept was for you? Yeah, Lyra had so many close calls where she was inches away from death that it was really a roll or some tactic that one of the other players used that kept her alive. So I knew her death was kind of looming in the distance. So I wanted to, before that actually happened and I was having to come up with a new character and fully uh, figure that all out I put together a a death sequence that originally I thought would go kind of round by round and instead of it all being just one paragraph there would be more of a slow sink into the deep where you'd get kind of a line at a time and it was a slow progression ended up not working that's not how she died and were, were we starting to see a little bit of that in the leech fight because you alluded to Lyra's eyes going black and they got darker and darker round over round as it looked a little little desperate was that what you're alluding to now or is that something a little different there were a few times where I thought Lyra could die and I started to transition or tried to get into that story. I thought that happened in the mummy fight. That did happen in the mummy <laughs> when fight. When you went unconscious, yeah. yeah. Yeah, where she was uh, 
starting to get to that progression and it ended up not not coming about uh, but where in this fight that we just had I was doing she wasn't really conscious and doing things and then I was looking up a bunch of uh, rules in the background too <laughs> well it, it, it it's tough the 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 fight's almost an hour long. I think we went a little over an hour that episode. Um, but realistically, it was, what, seven, eight rounds? Maybe a tiny bit longer. That's half a minute, a little bit more than that in actual time. So, I, you know, we were chatting with the rest of the players earlier, and everything just happens so fast, even though it takes an hour for us to act it out. Um, realistically, Ikmer, Matsumbe, and Eclipse probably didn't even know that Lyra was dead until, until we stopped fighting because there was so little time between her actually dying and us finding out. Yeah, and I think we kind of played that out in, yeah. in 75 where it's just kind of like you see her bob a little bit, but it's so difficult to tell because Lyra has been kind of laying on her back like treading water <laughs> this entire fight mm-hmm. because she went prone in round two mm-hmm. and stayed that way. So I kind of want to talk about what got us to this moment here. And and what about this fight made it a lethal one? Because we really have a lot of close calls this entire campaign. And even within the last several episodes, I mean, Lyra almost got coup de grace during the mummy fight. Like there there were, I, I hate to say it, but I almost feel like we're due. Like we, you can only get so close before somebody goes down. And I think we just had a domino effect of one after the other after the other things going wrong during this combat that led to somebody dying. So yeah. I want to walk through that a little bit with you guys. You, you okay with that? Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. So I listened back to this episode uh, before we recorded this. And really, I think in a way, we shot ourselves in the foot a little bit at the beginning and then had a little bit of bad luck that really just fucked the whole thing. And I want to call out two things. So I want to call out those two things specifically. First of all, we flip-flopped our marching order, which is something I think we're pretty diligent about that Ikmer needs to go into most places first, followed by either uh, Eclipse or Matumbe, and then Lyra bringing up the back. We did the reverse of that. And so you've got our squishiest character separated from the rest of the party going into this dangerous situation. And when... Here, here, here I'm, getting in, I'm getting into the second thing here. And then when the battle actually starts setting itself up, we all roll initiative and it's pretty bad all the way around, which really just set us up for failure. I think if Lyra rolled a very high initiative, she could have escaped right away, gotten out of there, and it would be a very different fight. So, no. On that first part, she was already affected by the hallucinogen. So whatever she got on her first roll... She's there, but um, sure you okay, heard it. Sense. You yeah, heard it right. a lot of times in the combat. If Ikmer had been the first one in, I literally could not hit him with those violet fungi without a critical hit. I couldn't do it. They had a plus four to hit. He's got like a twenty-six AC. Yeah, I can't hit him. I can't. So had he gone in to grab the thing, these things are clanging off his armor the entire time. But Lyra goes in and then she goes prone and she's an easy target in the middle of the room. That's what killed her. Yeah. 
I was really thinking Lyra's swim speed and being able to purify some of the water around her would give her an advantage in whatever we were going to face in that room. But since she failed that first save and was affected by the hallucinogen, it was just downhill from there. The hallucination cloud is particularly brutal, too, because it only allows one save, but you need to make a save every round to not start hallucinating. It lasts for six rounds. So this Bazardron, which is the, the, the one creature that was kind of waiting in the wings that was able to deal a little bit more damage, it, in the surprise round, shoots off this cloud. If you fail against the cloud... You don't get another save until the cl- until it's over. You have to leave the cloud, but most of the most of the hallucination effects are like you forfeit your turn. Most yeah. of them were that way, or in Igmer's case, it's like you drop your shit and you run away. And then he was okay, but he, it's because he got out of the cloud. The cloud's like a twenty foot radius, and it's making you guys do crazy shit. So when I hit everyone but Eclipse with the cloud, I knew it was going to be really bad. Yeah, it was it was tough. Um, we just... Uh, I mean, Igmer and Matumbe were just... We, we weren't doing anything. Exactly. Like, we're just, just... Take two players out immediately, um, and then Eclipse is effectively like 1v1-ing this, this one thing. And while, they were Ig- while the Violet Fungi are destroying yep, yep. Uh, Lyra. And they're just trading nasty hits, um, and then you just get, we you get into this cycle of these hits dealing con damage and forcing rolls of cons or, uh, or fort saves. That's a tough, tough cycle to be caught. So in. I will say, um, Emily, the reason Lyra died was your bad luck. The saves weren't particularly brutal. It was a uh, for the Bazadrond. It was a DC sixteen, which is hard for you on Fortitude. I understand that. Um, and the Violet Fungi was a DC fifteen. But the the issue working against you was your continued failure at the um, at the poison, you, the inhaled poison you were subjected to at the beginning. You failed for three rounds and took four con damage, and then your Fortitude save was nerfed to nothing and you started having to make these saves against these violet fungi which by the way their attack only did 1d4 plus 1 damage but they have this rot effect which I kind of described as like your skin being and your flesh being rotted away from your bones they have this rot effect that deals 1d4 strength and 1d4 con every time they hit you and they have 4 natural attacks and so they were just wailing on you, and and even though they only have a plus four to hit when you're prone, that's that's not a sure thing that you're getting out of that. No, in fact, you got hit like twice per time they full round attacked you, and I think that's what killed Lyra was just the the failing of fort saves early, which led to kind of a cascading effect because everything was dealing con damage. Yeah, my beginning rolls were pretty bad. I think near the end, though, they started to pick up. But at that point, my save was at a zero. So it didn't really matter that yeah, much. Like I had to roll really well. Yeah, Yeah, you flip-flop that and you you have your better rolls in the beginning. 
It would have been very different. You don't want to know what fucking sucks? I'll tell you. um, You rolled a 15 at the very end there with that attack of opportunity to get the hell out of there. You needed a 16 for the Bazadron. And? And so it hit her and dealt the... Like she... Because she rolled the 15, she failed the fortitude save on the poison. It's an inhaled poison, so it happens again. And... It was a 50-50 shot. If I rolled a two, she takes both the two con damage and her entire level in HP damage. If I roll the one, she only takes one con damage and she doesn't go down. I rolled a two well, and killed her. Suppose that character wasn't wearing the Manta Gray cloak and had her cloak of resistance plus one. Then she would have been okay. I was a a little bit salty about that at myself, that I had removed the very effective cape to wear the fun kind of story cape. And I actually talked with Brooks about that a little bit later, and he brought up a really good point. Um, He just asked me if I played Lyra as she would have acted. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I did. If Lyra found a really cool ocean-themed cape that's pretty powerful... She would put it on. Yeah, and and I I appreciate that you did that because I think that that shows that like we as players around this table won't like power game and min max for the sake of the story and the character and being who you are. Like I I, there, I mean that there, was an extreme example of it yeah. too because like her cloak of resistance came from a like the dude who gave her the harrow deck and all of that stuff and like gave it to her on a whim it was like tailored to her and she still gave that up for the manta ray cloak which Mm -hmm. which i think you know again it's it's something you really have to be in your character's head to to think to do that mechanically you're never touching salt water it ain't gonna happen yep but i i think that shows uh a fortitude of the character or ra- rather of Emily playing the character that you don't, you don't want to sacrifice that kind of stuff. That's, a, that's stuff that would mean so much for her character. You don't want to let that go just because, you know, it would make more sense mm-hmm. to wear the cloak of resistance, but I'm, I'm glad you did not do that. Um, so that was kind of the fight. I, I don't know if we want to dive into the, the creatures at all. I don't think they were no, I too mean, wild. We saw most of their abilities in combat. All I'll right? say is that I never expected it. Yeah. I did not expect it. And it just kind of happened by fate of the dice and and tactics as played. I honestly thought Igbert was going to drag you out of the room. I gave him like a kind of gimme on the reposition because he should have had to like grapple you and then reposition you and whatever. And I kind of gave that to him and it still didn't pan out. Yeah. I think had he not run out of the room, it might have been a different story too. But I think it's time for us to reflect and talk about the the highs and lows of this character. So let's dive into the life and times of Lyra. Um, for for me, I think this character really shone best during book two in the trial. Um, I'm not sure that we could have or would have won the trial without her. You wouldn't have. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know that's for for me that's that's the highlight of Lear. What, what she was building towards was defending um, 
was defending the beast, someone who's who really we don't you would think this giant monster who's accused of crimes is guilty of those crimes and she stood up for the oppressed and the innocent and I thought that was that was good. What are you what is some of, some of your guys favorites from Lyra? I totally agree that book 2 was where she really I thought she became a lot of fun to play and she really I developed like she was able to develop further and really impact the combats uh, like using the burst of radiance on the Mm -hmm. trolls and blinding them I feel like that kind of turned the tide of the battle Mm -hmm. yeah book one is very difficult for a charismatic character in that there's not a lot of times when you get to shine book two is where it's very much hey you have a party face use that person and the trials wouldn't have been the same without Lyra. Without you, Emily, like playing Lyra in that in that capacity, thinking of all of the all of the evidence that you had and how you could spin it, thinking of the ways that you could counter me purposely being a dick and like and trying to shoot down all of your arguments I think I think that was just a great like you looked at me with anger that one <laughs> that one episode where like the final trial where I was being a divian and being a douche and and which I love because you should you should look at me as a douche when I'm playing a divian he was built to be a dick but uh, you played against him so well as Lyra that it was like it was almost like you're not willing to take his low road and you're just you're proving him wrong time and time again in this trial and I think that's where she really shined I mean realistically you guys the beast would would probably have been burned without Lyra because she just time and time again rolled these clutch charisma checks and not only that but as Emily playing her made these very sound arguments for the evidence that you guys found which gave you guys benefits I put in a reasonable amount of time prepping for every day of the trial I had my notes for all of the facts that we found all the different clues and tried to organize them into nice succinct arguments that could be made and of course I loved to hate on a Divion I really liked the dynamic that the two had <laughs> that's one thing that I, I think is kind of funny is that I brought him into your evil interlude character as well mm-hmm. and um, I, just kind of like a two-pronged hatred <laughs> anytime I play him from, <laughs> from Emily I'm sure I'm sure Freya will learn to hate yeah, him for, for some reason for right? some, oh yeah. yeah definitely that's uh that's one of the things that I I, I think um I think Brooks in particular does really well when when we play um, not just this game, but any TTRPG. I think he really engages the NPCs in a way that um, some of the rest of us don't don't as as much. And um, I I, I want to say your rivalry with Odivian is very Brooks esque. That you like really found this person looked at looked at this person as an actual person and not just somebody we need to pump for information or an adversary or whatever. I think you really dug in and uh, had a very convincing uh, a very convincing relationship with this character that 
it just sucks. You know it's convincing <laughs> when I feel like I feel like the waves of hatred from Emily like <laughs> from across the table when I'm playing a Divi and I know I'm like, wow, I'm really pissing her off. Yep. Like at, a, at, a, at a personal level I might be. No, everything, all of the anger was all directed at a Divion and like within the game. I was able to separate that, but uh, I'm not very good at hiding my emotions or anything, so I feel like a lot of that came through, but it was all directed at the game. Sure it was. <laughs> then explain the Griffin Norman voodoo doll you have. <laughs> 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 all right. There's one more thing I want to talk about, Lyra, uh, before we... Actually, there's two more things I want to uh, talk about, Lyra. First of all, are there any water puns that you didn't get to? You don't have to share them now, but I know you you did a whole lot of homework and um, a lot of note taking. Have you seen her pages of puns? Well, yeah, this is a very baited (laughs) question. I know the answer. (laughs) Yes. Actually, before we really started playing it to prepare, I looked up a lot of water puns, water proverbs, and jokes involving the ocean. I used most of them. Some of them... It never really made sense to use them. Sure. Um, but I got I got through a good number on the list. Well, good. And when she inevitably comes back as some horrific Lovecraftian nightmare in book four, I expect to hear a... What are you waiting for? <laughs> yes. Yes, please. Oh boy! Um, all right, and, and then and then my second thing before we really hop into the what's next part of this discussion, what do you wish was next? What were you looking for? I don't want to talk backstory because I know how Griffin runs games, and I know that a lot of the um, like Lyra backstory and stuff he was working towards is going to be very very relevant in the future. So I don't want to give any of that away, but I want to talk like mechanically. Were you gonna take? 20 levels in Oracle? Were you going to multi-class? Were you, was, is there an ability you were looking forward to certain spells? Um, just what were you building this character towards that we might not see now? I was getting really excited to get to level seven because I was going to mix it up a little bit. And I don't normally do this with characters, but I was going to take a prestige class. Hmm. Okay. I was going to take harrower at level seven. This was probably because I knew this was coming, and this was probably my saddest part of killing Lyra was missing, missing out on, on, on this. Yeah, because God, from your from the from the fluff feet, because I gave you all kind of a backstory feat. From the backstory feat I gave Lyra to the you know she gets a Harrow deck in the first episode, and like it, it was all building to this, and we. We missed out on it, sadly, because the Harrow or Prestige class would have been so much fun to see. So I, I didn't know anything about Harrower, and I put this agenda out here, you know, things we're going to talk about, and I saw your response in there, Prestige class Harrower level 7. So I did a little homework of my own looking into Harrower, and I'd never read that Prestige class before. Super interesting. Do you want to tell, uh, tell the listening audience a little bit more about that? Yeah, I hadn't looked into it until working with Lyra and wanting to go deeper with the Harrow cards that she had and pretty much it takes the the feat that she already had where she was able to give herself bonuses and goes 
even deeper than that and starts to spread it out. So she's still using that Harrow deck, but it reveals secrets about the past, present, and future. So it allows her to augment her spells based on um, what the Harrow reading was. And so for the the first level that I was really excited about, you get the blessing of the harrow. And so you can do a harrowing for yourself and your allies. And it, it takes a little while to do, but then you all get the bonus for that day. So I thought that would be a fun That's cool. buff that everybody could get. What I, what I like about the prestige class that I was reading is that it introduces this uh, this element of randomness because you've always been pulling cards and oh this was a boost to my intelligence ah, probably not too useful boost to my strength not too useful Char- uh, charisma during the trial sweet perfect that's so cool perfect um, but now you're distributing that across the across the gang and I don't know it's just kind of cool it's it's different it's something that I really haven't seen before in another game that I've played. It's something that me and Emily talked about a year and a half ago. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, you know, it's one of those things that makes me sad. You know, I I really wanted to see it come out, and I know how long it takes in an actual play to get to level seven. But we talked about her taking the Harrow or Prestige class. That's why we had her have this Harrow influence. That's why in episode one I had A give her this Harrow deck. (laughs) Because, like... I wanted her to be that kind of character and be swayed by the fates of the cards and and then eventually be molded by that and, and become this harrower class because that's where she wanted to build her character. It, it allowed you to do some pretty cool stuff too with the Prince of Wolves and uh, a, a tiger per se. Uh, <laughs> per se. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just to think if you if you just had us level up a little earlier. Uh, what a shame. Mm, what a shame. We would have seen it. We would have seen it, guys. I'm sorry. Blame Griffin for that one. <laughs> you blame me for a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> blame me for everything you don't like in this campaign, I guess. Don't say thank you for any of the good stuff. Blame yeah, me for all the bad shit. Don't say thank you for any of the good stuff. <laughs> Fuck all the good storytelling. Just tell me how it sucks. <laughs> so- That's what I need. Oh boy. So with that character dead, uh, let's talk about the future. So what's next? I want to talk to Emily. Emily, in episode 75, you introduced us to your new PC. This is a lady called Freya. She is a dwarf. First one of them on the show. That's exciting. And I know as we as was alluded earlier, uh, you guys have been workshopping her for a long time. And so you're finally able to bring her in without revealing her backstory or um, why she's here or any of that nonsense. Um, can you walk me through your process of building a backup character and give the give the folks at home a little bit of a introduction to who this person is and why they should be excited for her? She has been in the works for a long, long time. time. <laughs> Uh, like we mentioned earlier, over a year. Mm-hmm. But at that point, she was just a character concept. I knew the race, the class, kind of her personality, 
but I didn't actually build her because I knew, well, I was hoping that Lyra would last a while so there would be more level ups. Uh, But basically, I just had a backstory and a general character concept. And uh, Griffin and I worked on her a little bit, but that was where she stayed for a while Mm -hmm. until I needed her. And then it was uh, a lot of building and reading, looking into all of the teachings of Erastil so I could understand on a deeper level where she would be coming from and trying to polish the backstory, tie everything in, and also build an effective cleric for this campaign. So so why Erastil? What about that god stood out to you? Because I, I, I'm very very interested in the Pathfinder lore around deities and gods and and stuff. And Arastal's an interesting one. I want to just want to know where that decision came from. I actually had several different deities that I was playing around with, uh, being that she's a dwarf and also thinking about deities that are important in the Carrying Crown campaign and then also deities that would give her spells that would allow her to be really effective against fighting undead creatures and throughout all of that I just kept coming back to Erastal and he just seemed like a very good fit. He um, gives proficiency with the longbow so able to do some more ranged attacks, which our party desperately needs. (laughs) I could not bring in another frontliner. Um, Uh, I mean, mean, you could. (laughs) Comedy of errors until someone else dies. Yeah, I was trying to help fill some of the gaps that our party has right or had, and he also fit well with the personality that I was giving her and also with her backstory and how she got to where she is today, which I won't really go into yet, uh, but the strong connection to family and living a simpler lifestyle fit in well, and it also helped tie her into the campaign and bring her into the storyline as well. So, so that was my next question. Like, who, who is Erastal? Um for the people who don't know, because there's a lot of folks that listen to our show who aren't super invested in the Pathfinder lore. Um, it, he he hits old on Dead Eye, yeah, old Dead Eye. He's this ancient deity who um, values hunting and community. He's lawful good, as I think we talk about in episode seventy-five. Um, but he, you know, he's all about self-sufficiency and working to make the community better. Kind of like a a god of like small rural villages. One, it's it's awesome, and it really helped me that Emily picked Arastal because Mikhail, Lyra's father, is a paladin of Arastal, and that gave an immediate in to how. Freya might, you know, connect to this party. Mm-hmm. And and I think you mentioned it in 75 was that Mikhail sent her to to kind of check up on Lyra because he's, you know, one of the 
one of the knights at last wall he can't really leave. And just to think, if she showed up like 12 hours earlier, Emily, we would just have two PCs. Oh, weird, <laughs> weird. How the fates are oh. woven. <laughs> oh, she might have showed up four books from now <laughs> if Lyra stayed alive. Weird how that works. At Our- least I didn't put her in a tree. Don't know what you're referring to there, Griff. <laughs> um, okay, cool. But anything more on Freya, or are you ready to move on to our next little part of this? Uh, no, I think the rest of her story and her abilities will unfold as we tell the story. Ooh, I'm sorry. I do have a question. What was the inspiration behind the voice? Because I know the answer and I want people to hear. So when I was first coming up with her character concept, Brooks and I were watching Norsemen. Perfect. And I felt like that was a great voice for a dwarf. Mm-hmm. And I've watched a lot of Norsemen now. A lot. And you pull I, it off very well. I'm very yeah. scared for when she does what you did to me and made me do like the Ibway voice. <laughs> <laughs> when she makes me do her backstory voice. And I'm just floundering on the Norseman voice because I am not good at that one. Wow, that's a surprise, Griff. I figured that'd be one you could do. I mean, it might be one I can do. I'm just going to have to practice it. We'll find out. I mean, Ibwe, I just kind of <laughs> take a lead from where Matumba is and make him old. Pretty much, yeah. But guys, I kind of wanted to open up the discussion a little bit. This is the first time on the HLP that we had a character die. And we alluded to this in episode 75 but this Lyra made it 74 episodes. You go back, you look at the runtime of our episodes. They're about an hour, usually a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, on average, probably at least an hour 15. So Emily has played this character for more than three entire days of her life. It's very, this is, this is an important character, not just to her, but to everybody else around the table. And all three of us have experienced this in some way. So... When a character dies in a game you're playing, what does that do? What does that do to you? What does that do to the rest of the players? And what does that do to the GM? Because it really does change the game. I want to hear some perspectives here. So, first of all, Emily, your your, your first response when Lyra died in the middle of the episode in 74, how did that make you feel? I was definitely shocked that it was actually happening. And once I processed it a little bit more, I was sad for the lost story arc and the lost potential. I was really excited about where she was, how much she was able to do in book two. And I was so excited to grow her even more and uh, go even further. And I felt like then that was gone. And so the story that I was planning on telling was cut off. And that's what was heartbreaking for me. I I, I can put myself in that situation a little bit too. I think about if Matume were to die, I think I, I in a way I'd be excited to start telling a new story, but I think very fast it would hit me that like, oh my God, there's so much that I wanted to tell and so much that I wanted to be relevant. And I can't do that anymore. Like, it's not up to me at that point anymore. And that's 
that's difficult to come to terms with. You know, somebody that you spent so long developing and a character that at, at least at least for me when I play these 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 types of characters is almost like a friend or an alternate persona gone. That sucks. That's tough. It really is. And we've all dealt with it in a little bit of a way. Yeah, I definitely felt like once I processed the loss that there was a piece of me that was missing because I had put so much of myself into Lyra that then when that was gone, there was just an emptiness there. And you're obviously coping it with it very healthily. Uh, you brought all of your Lyra stuff here. Yeah, you brought saltwater taffy. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that for her funeral and all of the processing that I was able to have all of my Lyra memorabilia and then be able to move forward and Haley start making new. Haley went and got a piercing with you this past week and she told me all you were asking was to get like an octopus or something. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, the day after Lyra died, I got my ear pierced and it is, uh, it's kind of like a the stone is pearly, kind of scaly, and it, it was because it reminded me of Lyra, and I wanted something to remember her by. That's great. Because she'll totally never come up again, right? Yeah, duh. It's done. Griff, <laughs> obviously. So, <laughs> so I, you know, from, a, from, a, from an other player perspective, um, I think this was a very unique one because, um, because Eclipse is so... Her, her story and her character build is so invested in keeping her friends close and keeping the spirits of the dead and Matumbe's character perspective is preserving the dead and ushering them into a new life and preserving balance and all this stuff and then you have Ikmer a, a very you know well developed character who's really you know maybe he doesn't trust the outside world so much and has this family built and one of those family members got ripped away so I think we we all kind of dealt with it in our own ways it was tough I uh, as soon as episode 74 got done I drove home and usually when I do I'll throw on a podcast uh, but I didn't do that when I drove home I just like threw on some some like kind of sad metal music I listened to some of my favorite like ghost inside tracks where they're talking about loss and stuff and being angry with it and it 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 just hit me in a different way than most character deaths in ttrpgs that i've played have hit me because this means a lot to all of us around the table not not just you emily that like everybody is so invested in these four characters that losing any one of them is uh really leaves us feeling weird and I, I guess that's my piece of it. But from like a GM perspective, Griff, what, how, did, how did this make you feel? This was a weird combat for somebody to go out. Um, it wasn't a, an extraordinary climactic moment. It's not a book ending boss. Um, how do you feel about this? I stayed up till like 3 a.m. the night after I killed um, Lyra. And I thought about, you know, all of the different ways in which she could have saved herself and it didn't happen and it was a roll of the dice and I just thought you know to maintain the integrity of this show 
yeah, she's dead, but I had so many plans for Lyra. I mean, you know I did. Like, this was... Yours was one of the characters where I was heavily invested in the backstory and, like, building the backstory of this character and meshing it into the story of Carrion Crown, and it sucked. I mean, it, it sucked more so than... Um, most of the character deaths that I've dealt with, like I've, you know, I TPK'd you guys in, in Plaguestone and that didn't phase me because you're all your characters suck. But like, <laughs> no, Lear is a character That's where I we care disagree. about. Lear is a character I care about. And so like, I mean, it, it, it definitely hit me. It definitely made me feel bad. I think I, I sent out a tweet that was like, you ever do something that uh, as a GM that makes you feel bad for a couple of days? Yeah, that was it. It made me feel bad. I mean, I don't want to hesitate to kill you guys, and I don't, but something like that, I mean, that's just a hard way to go out. It's a hard way to learn that lesson. It's a, it's a hard way to fail your New, new Year's resolution in, in one week, Emily. It's a really well, hard way to fail that. That was my previous year's resolution. So. Oh, your New Year's resolution wasn't be be careful. <laughs> Not this year. No, unfortunately. It, was, it was it was learn the basics. Learn the yeah. basics. Yeah. yeah, the basics of uh, con damage. I, you know, and and that's I think what's unique about this medium of of entertainment really is that in most books, in most stories, in most shows or or movies. A character will die, but it's a, a pivotal point at the very end. A self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It's a decision. And, and, and this just hit at a, a time where it didn't matter. Like, yeah, and I don't we were wanna... going after some, some loot. Like, right. and, mm-hmm. and to be fair, if we replayed like the last few episodes, we would still probably go for that sapling rod. That's what we would do. 10 out of 10 times is go for that rod because we see it and like that's how we play we're completionists and we want to get realistically if we replayed these last couple episodes we probably would have had a character death whether or not it's Lyra if we replayed 72 once Mm. I guarantee you Matumbe or or um, or Ikmer is dead and so it's so much of it is up to the dice, which is why we play this game. And it sucks when it's a character that is so incorporated in the backstory and so pivotal in, in especially the book she died in. It's, it's not like she was sitting in the background all book and then got killed off. It's like she was the forefront of book two until the Schloss. She was the voice of the party until the end of the book. And 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 then she goes out. I, we've heard how your characters deal with it. I'm curious how Larry is going to deal with it. I, I think it's going to be tough. I think uh, although Ikmer is, uh, is an alignment good character, he's very conflicted himself. And I really do see the like Eclipse Matumbe Ikmer core three like starting to spiral down in this like depraved revenge fantasy. Which is just played up. Like, I mean that's like driving that's towards it, yeah. Because I think um 
almost more than any other campaign that I've played in that we have some characters that are just uh, morally and emotionally complex that, you know, it, it's we're not clear cut. We're not defined by our, our alignments or or anything. You have characters in the background tough. that are antithetical to you. Mm-hmm. That's why you're so bent on revenge is that we've built this alternate party, this group of people that are completely antithetical to everything your characters are. And they're there and they're in the world. And when they conflict with the world and it's not an aid, like I could not have done this AP and had you be more angry at one of the villains in this adventure then I could have you guys be angry at Vivian this episode. Like, it, it just wouldn't happen. It wouldn't, it's not realistic to think that could happen. I could never get you that invested into it. But, but when I have you play the bad side, it really just like cements this revenge, this. It's not even like your characters anymore. I, when. When you gave Eclipse the flashback that uh, that Viv set this whole thing up as like a little trap for us, um, clearly not written into the AP that there's this alchemist that sets up a sapling rod, but it just it play it's so authentically Doctor Viv what she would do. Um, I wanted to stand up and put my fist through the drywall, <laughs> like like. It, it makes a lot of sense and it's perfect for her, but it made me so fucking mad <laughs> that like, and I'm glad that that's this what I was person going for. like f- trapped us. Fuck. It, it helped me to process Lyra's death, knowing that Vivian was there and like a really big part of it. And then after the flashback, that it was a trap from her it's even more cemented but the fact that my other character played a role helped me process the loss of Lyra and it also kept me excited about what we're doing because I still have that really established vested interest in what's going on well you're talking about this other character Emily and um I think we're just going to hop into it a little bit. We've gotten a whole lot of questions specifically for you. Um, So we're going to subject you to a little bit of a lightning round. So uh, quick answers if you can deliver them. But a few days ago, after people had listened to the episode or had an opportunity to do so, I reached out to our Discord community and said, hey, we're going to have Emily on. We're talking about all this stuff. What questions do you have for her? And the first one that we have... Uh, from the community comes from Buster Knuckle. It wasn't the first one we received, but it, it ties well into this last part. We're talking about character death. And he wants to know what your first character death was. And tell us a little bit about that. My first Pathfinder character death was also the first character I ever created. Her name was Nymeria, and she was a druid with a wolf companion named Beaker. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yep, because yep, I course. needed to have my dog in the campaign with us. And it, that was a very different experience for me when she died. Uh, Tim was our GM for that, and he did a great job of the, like, 
the really weird backstory that I gave him, he worked it into the campaign, which a ton of credit to him because I didn't know how to make a nice backstory that could fit in well with the Rise of the Rune Lords campaign that we were playing. Yeah, give me a weird one now. I'm just going to say, nope, can't play that. <laughs> well, well, when we, we made those backstories, Brooks, Emily, and myself didn't know anything about Pathfinder lore. So, like, we were just kind of, like, shooting in the dark, like, making shit up. And... Shot in the dark. Yeah, you get it. One uh, step away from you. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, we, we really didn't know anything about, like, the worlds of Galarian and its and, 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 and other shit in the Pathfinder universe. So, like, that we were just like, tough. all right, fine. That makes it really tough. That's why I am always, like, a huge proponent of... Hey, if you really want to like play in this world and you want to have like a setting in this world, like read or yeah. get the audiobooks for some of the um some of the tales stories yeah. or some of the like world guides, especially the ones that are like relevant to your setting, just so that you have like a firm footing because yeah, it's tough to get into Galarian without without the the push of hey, you know 10% of the backstory so you can figure this out or oh create a cleric without knowing any of the gods in this world I think that's well that's exactly what I did I totally punted I was like yeah my character's lost in time and can't remember anything and she doesn't know what she's doing here and as I learn more I'm gonna figure it out <laughs> <laughs> and Tim did a great job with it and it, and it actually tied together really well and had well like one of my most satisfying conclusions to a character arc I've ever had. It was it was fantastic, um, but yeah, it it was, you know, Nymeria was one of the original party members, and it was tough for my character to lose that character as well. All right, I think that's going to be the the tough thing about character arcs in this campaign. What do you mean? I just don't think they're going to be as like as like a satisfying end as you've experienced with like rune lords and that kind of thing. I think it's, it's going to be like a mixed satisfaction. I think that's totally in flavor for the game that we've played. Though, I think so, so far. too. Yeah. I think, but, you know, it's just like in Gothic horror, like yeah. there are no heroes and happy endings. It's just not how it works. Why do you think we use the corruption mechanic? Like this just people don't get off scot free and, you know, the best of us die and the worst of us continue on as a shell of themselves. Yeah, it's pretty depressing what we do. <laughs> That's why we drink. <laughs> yeah. Am I am I am I drinking because I'm depressed or am I drink or am I depressed because I'm drinking? I don't know at this point. <laughs> it's Ouroboros, a snake biting its own tail. <laughs> All right, let's keep it going here. So uh, Emily, the next question we have comes from Bear Eclair, and I'm going to read everything he wrote because it was uh, uncharacteristically sweet for him. He's uncharacteristically, yes. yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a little bit of a troll in our uh, Discord server, but, um, but he wrote some really, really nice stuff. So I want to read it all because I think it warrants being read. He says, I'm fucking gut punched uh, about it, Emily. Gonna chug a Malibu in honor next drunken Discorderly. No shade to Matumbe or Eclipse, but Lyra and Ikmer have some of the most carrying crown centric potential arcs in the party. Losing one or both of them 
which seems very positive given Ickmer's MO, dashes a bunch of stories not yet told. I really wanted to see her reach Lake and Carthen. He goes on to say, Are there any elements of Lyra's story that we're never going to see now that you and Griff uh, discuss it on Zone of Truth? And I don't know that we really want to touch that because I think it was already hinted that we're going to see a lot of that story stuff. I think the part that we can touch on is the entire harrower aspect of Lyra that that is going to be completely unsaid. What I was very excited for with the harrower archetype once she took it was being able to give some exposition moments with that. Not that I haven't done that with your, you know, with your uh, <laughs> deck of harrow cards and like the Prince of Wolves and that kind of thing, but I was I was hoping to go actually further into detail once she took the harrower prestige class and kind of have her be the guide of the party knowing these things that are that are potentially going to happen like even even to the extent of like seeing difficult combats and seeing our friends deaths or that kind of thing because i think a lot of a lot of storytelling in this space lends itself to surprise and that's that's all well and good like that's people love surprise people love listening to surprise people want to be on the edge of their seats when they listen to this kind of stuff but you got to remember that these these characters in this world are powerful the fact that like you have a character with divination with true divination should warrant something it should it should make it make it so that like you know aspects of the enemy that's coming you know things that are going to happen that's what i wanted to reveal through lyra once she took some harrower classes which would have greatly benefited the party, in my opinion, because you would have at least been able to say, like, hey, we're going to come up against, like, this incorporeal foe, like, this this badass ghost. Like, let's, let's prepare ourselves for that. And now, uh, you know, obviously there are ways for you guys to get that intel still, but it was just a very interesting way, in my opinion, of getting that information without being, like, a... a wizard and scrying or or doing that kind of shit it's like oh you're divining the future and one time out of six i'm gonna give you something super valuable yeah he he continues to go on to say also given the proximity of emily's other character and the nethel ghoul i suppose there are a few avenues where lyra's lyra's story could continue just in the worst ways possible. Does that delight you, horrify you, or both? <laughs> what do you have to say about that, Emily? Uh, so, when Lyra died, the part that I was most sad about was losing her story arc. So, if that if her story arc changes and becomes darker, I'd be delighted, as I think we're going to see. I with the corruptions and everything that we have in this campaign, I expected her to go down a darker road, and now it's obviously going to be different and accelerated, but like, I'm so excited that it's not necessarily the end of that story. Good. Yeah, Bear, I followed her character around for like 60 episodes with this thing. It's not like I'm going <laughs> to fucking let this go. 
Oh, well, she's done. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you listen to 75, obviously you know. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm... Something's happening here. Yeah. There is an intrinsic link between Lyra and the dark tapestry and everything in between that will get fleshed out as we as we proceed with our new character. All right. Well, let's keep this going, guys. We got a lot of lightning round questions to get through, so I'm going to throw a few at Emily really fast. All right. First one comes from our buddy Eric. This is 10 Lawn Gnomes on our Discord server. Which Disney princess are we going to see next? No princesses, but maybe in the future, a Disney villain? I don't know. Yeah! I love it. That was the best answer. No one fights like Gaston. No one. You gonna do Gaston? Do Gaston. <laughs> Swashbuckler. <laughs> I can see that. All right. Next one comes from Lord Deathquake. Aside from Ariel, who is your favorite Dis- Disney princess and why? This is a really difficult question. As a child, it, not a Disney princess, but I loved the Seven Dwarves from Snow White. They were my absolute favorite. Yep. Still not answering the question. Now, <laughs> which dwarf is Freya? <laughs> <Grumpy>. <laughs> uh, maybe. Uh, but now I still have a hard time picking, but I'm going to have to go with Belle because I also play a character based off of her in our Return of the Rune Lords campaign. No. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. You're trying to tell me that Belle Labette is based off of Belle from Beauty and the Beast? It's it's a pretty big coincidence. <laughs> All right, next question comes from Bipolar Pop Tart. On a scale of one to Lyra's drink order, how salty are you? Fresh water. I was more of like brackish level water at myself right away. Um, but as I mentioned before, I feel like I played Lyra true to her character. Um I got a little excited and put her into a not great situation. My roles were bad, but it's part of the game and I'm we all have to move forward and I'm excited about the new story that I get to tell. Wonderful. Coming from Commodore, does your will include party members only or will all of your properties revert to your baby manticore? A while back, Lyra explicitly stated uh, to Matumbe that Eclipse was not supposed to keep her soul. So I'm I'm glad the episode went the way that it did. We, we got that. Yeah, we, we, we worked that out. That was mm-hmm. good. I'm glad that turned out the way it did. Uh, but for Mel, she's well taken care of where she is. So really, just like an article of clothing or something that smelled like Lyra is all that she would have really wanted given to the Manticore just to remind it of her, but I don't think it needs anything that Lyra has. This man, of course, out for blood after her mother died. <laughs> Time for revenge. Time for revenge. It's like a reverse John Wick. <laughs> oh no, the climax of book two, the baby manticores come flying out <laughs> for yes. revenge. All right, cool. We got one from Buster Knuckle. When you channel Dr. Vivian Malice, the madness is palpable. What goes through your mind when you play her? I push all of my obsessive, dedicated grad student thoughts into her personality. Uh, Specifically, the feeling I had when I did a 30-hour growth curve where the measurements were taken every hour on the hour. Um, So that sleep deprivation that I got was really disoriented and it 
kind of plays tricks on your mind when you're sleeping for like 40 minute intervals throughout the whole entire night. And then I just sprinkle in a little of the frustration that I have from failed experiments. And uh, basically, that's Vivian. Do you have a real life of Vivian? <laughs> it's Brooks. It's Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone in my department is all super nice and supportive. So I don't have a real life uh, academic rival. Just wait till yet. I join the food science department. I'm coming in hot. You join and just do the just voice. To, just to shit on you. Hmm, that doesn't seem like it's something that I could... Good people of Ohio State. <laughs> Good people of Ohio State. You show up to my uh, dissertation defense and argue against me graduating. What an idiot. <laughs> Good people of the Ohio State University. All right, Trafalgar asks, spoiler for episode 74, if Lyra could be saved with dark magic, e.g. getting a curse or corruption with obvious evil roots that resurrects her but leaves a dark taint on her, would you as a player want to continue playing her? Or would you choose to let her rest and play another character? When I was answering this question before we did 75, I was really hoping that the Nethel Goo would come back into the story, which happened, which I was very excited about. Kobe. Uh, but with that happening, I knew that she would not be my character anymore. She would still be out there and her story could continue. And because I love Lyra and want her storyline to continue, even if it's not exactly the direction that I had planned, I'm still uh, really excited about that. It's how the game goes. There's real consequences. So I'm excited to see how that story can progress as well. I think that was a... I mean, that's a decision I've had since, obviously, well before Lyra was killed. I mean, I had this entity following you for books now. And I really wanted, you know, if you perished, to have that as kind of the, the last look at Lyra for a while. So... I'm excited to see where that goes as well, because you're not going to like it. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of things that I don't think Emily would like, this comes from Bipolar Pop-Tart. On that same note, would you let her become reanimated as one of Viv's experiments? I think that could be a cool, like, different storyline that could be told. I would be excited about it, but again, I, like, wouldn't see myself playing her it would just be a different story being told Mm -hmm. probably not by me but i would be excited i i think the the most heartbreaking thing possible would be her becoming reanimated as one of dr biv's experience or uh, experiments and then attacking ikmer and ikmer having to like fight her shambling corpse that looks like his friend that'd be tough yeah Mm -hmm. i just thought that's way too unrealistic in my opinion for that to have happened like it's it's a great concept right but just like she set the trap for you she's not trying to bring you back and like use you she's trying to kill as many of you as she can so that you don't disrupt her yeah and speaking of another uh extraordinarily evil character our buddy jerry's task asks also eclipse has made it clear that she wants to keep her friends forever how would Lyra respond to becoming one of Eclipse's forever friends? 
Interestingly enough, I think we kind of answered this in 75. Lear's not about it. Yeah, I loved that discussion that we were able that we were able to have cuz Lyra doesn't want to be trapped. She wants to be free and move on. So, I was excited that we got to play that story out because it got to keep uh, Eclipse's character and kind of build on that further while still allowing Lyra to have her own choice. Hey, for the first time, Lyra and the Lopper were on the same side. Fair enough. <laughs> and is this the, was that the first time that um, I, I, I could be totally wrong about this. I just don't remember the exact particulars about this. That um, that Lyra realized that the the spirit of the like specifically the spirit of the Lopper was inside Eclipse. Like she knew she was bad. I think realistically, yeah, yeah. it's not mm-hmm. mostly Ikmer had seen right. the Lopper in, a, in in Eclipse. Oh no, no, no! Um, remember when they were kind of it was just them and Lyra saw Eclipse sleeping and saw the Lopper. Yeah, so that might have been like the first hint of it. Right. right? But I think that was just a hint. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like the Lopper has ever directly spoken with mm-hmm. Lyra, but but yeah, that was a hint of it. And then you get, you know, this after she's died, this very like get the fuck out. I don't want you here from a malevolent spirit. That's got, that's kind of got to be tough too like passing on into the next life and seeing that one of your biggest enemies one of your toughest bosses that you fought is inhabiting one of your friends that you knew was turning evil but you know didn't realize what was happening and it maybe you know she's passing on and it's a little too late to warn Matumbe and Ikmer that's tough. Yeah, she just had to trust in the party and it Eclipse and her strength and then you two to keep her on the right track. Because at that point, she wasn't going to stay and be trapped, especially with the Lopper. So she just had to hope that you three would be enough to I overcome I think it's it. pretty funny that... Um Ikmer is the one that's seen the most of the Lopper, and he's also the one that, like, has been threatened into silence mm-hmm. the most, and he's such a kid that he can't really, like, defend against that. He's afraid of losing his friends, and so he won't he won't break that trust, but it's just he's seen so much of it at this point. Yeah. All right, guys, last one for the lightning round. This comes from C.S.E. Kevin. When Lyra died, was there a moment that any of you thought or even suggested either re-recording the fight or just figuring out a way for her to not die? Also question for Emily. Did you find it ironic that Lyra, a character based off the Little Mermaid, was almost saved by an octopus? Let's address the first one first, because I think this is very important and reflects on like our integrity as a show. Uh, the straight up answer is no. Yeah, I mean, the... The most, the closest we got to it was when we finished recording on the entire episode, and the joke was made like, hey, that didn't record right. Yeah, we lost it. Yeah, we (laughs) got to redo it. it. We got to redo it. But no, yeah, I mean, we're not going to, we're not going to take that back. It's, 
It's a part of Pathfinder. It's a part of playing the game. Our characters aren't invulnerable. They've gone through a lot that got them really close to death. When one of them dies, one of them dies. That's how we're going to play this. You're not going to get out of book two without somebody else dying, I'm going to guess. I I mean, if you went around the table, I think I can speak for everybody. Five for five people would were not would not have wanted Lyra to die that episode. That's ridiculous. Um, But the fact of the matter is, even though this is a a fantasy world where incredible things happen and you see something extraordinary every day that, you know, us on earth in real life, it would completely blow our minds. Life and death happens. And, you know, we're trying to simulate that as well. Like you don't want your, family members or your friends to pass away but it does happen and if it happens on our show well well, it happens and we're not going to change it it's not happening plus we got Emily doing a great character voice (laughs) yeah absolutely you know early on we were a little shy about the character voices but now (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I think there's a lot of really good things and bad things that you just have to accept as part of the game and I think it's a lot more fun if you just react to the reality that we're building together and you move forward with the story and that way you get more interesting and unique directions because we're not just storytelling, we're playing a game and the dice rolls influence that and if we took that away, it wouldn't really be an actual play podcast anymore. Like at that point, we might as well just script the whole thing, right? Yeah, I mean, like we, just yeah. do we, fucking audio book. Yeah, we call ourselves an audio drama if we if we didn't adhere to the dice. So, I mean, you guys have come close a lot of times, and for this to happen again, it's just your luck against you or your tactics against you for this combat. But it happens, and it should happen. Yeah. Well, I guess on that somber note. You lasted what about that? 74 episodes. What about, man. what about that? What about that octopus? So I know that this was not a great way for Lyra to die, but the fact that an octopus tried to save her in the end was a good ending for a character that I envisioned as like inverse of the little mermaid where the octopus is trying to save her this time. Yeah, I was going to kill you if the octopus drug you out. Just fair warning. I was going to roll a 50-50 on whether it attacked the octopus or Mm -hmm. you. So you were going to take three AOOs, 50-50 against the octopus. I think one of them probably would have hit you. Well, so it could have saved you, but I highly doubt it. It would have been a worse situation than you just trying to get yourself mm -hmm. out. You know what would have saved you if you went diagonally up or down on those violet fungi because they only had a plus four to hit and they probably would have missed you. Whereas the other thing had a plus 10 to hit, and it definitely would have hit you. And so, had you made one of those, I think Lyra would be alive today. But it's completely against her nature to go into the room of the things that are killing her, right? So, it, it totally makes sense what you did. I'm just thinking tactically as a GM, like, that's that's where you probably could have saved yourself. I have visions of Lyra doing exactly that and then taking a little bit of a circuitous route around them and getting up to the sapling rod and just start noshing on some fruit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that kind of <laughs> just mm. slugging down fruit. 
Mmm, I can. How many fruit can I eat in a round? <laughs> hey, that's fair. You probably could eat at least one fruit per round. All right, folks. Well, Emily, you did succeed your reflex save and made it out of the lightning round. But I wanted to end this episode, which, uh, you know, is a little drab. Wanted to reflect it. I'm sorry. Oh, boy. Wanted to end it on something a little bit more upbeat. So let's have some fun, guys. We have one listener question that we're going to hit tonight for the whole party. This comes from Bipolar Pop-Tart, and he asks... What is your favorite childhood movie and why is it Three Ninjas? So, I've never seen Three Ninjas. I don't know what that movie is, so that's not my answer. Has anybody seen Three Ninjas? I don't think I have. We probably should see it. If it's anything like Ninja Terminator, I'm in. However, I don't know what this movie is, so I'm just going to answer this naturally. How about you guys? Oh, yeah. All right, cool. So, um... I thought a lot about this, and when I was a kid, a lot I watched a lot of like Thomas the Tank Engine. You know, I'm into yeah, that. Yeah. Good shit. Um, but that's but that's no movie, right? And I watched a lot of Disney movies when I was a kid. Was a huge fan of Lion King. But I think the movie that I watched the most when I was young, it's in character. I think it's Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace. I think it. I saw that movie three times in theaters. I loved it. <sighs> now that I'm a little older, when I've watched the movie, I'm like, yeah, there's some problematic stuff in here. Yeah? Just a little. Just a bit. But uh, yeah, I really like that. How about you guys? Uh, let's go Emily. When I was little, of course, I loved Disney movies. Uh, but one movie in particular that I think my parents got annoyed that I liked watching it so much was Princess and the Goblin. Princess what? and the Goblin? Yeah, I think it's a, a smaller movie, uh, but it was about a, a princess who is kidnapped by goblins, and they're trying to force her to marry this disgusting goblin king. You sure it wasn't Labyrinth? Yeah, it's an animated movie. Okay. And uh, she has to use her own magic and the help of uh, this other, I think he's like a farmhand or something, to uh, get out of that tricky situation. I've never heard of this movie before, but it is real. It is real. Yeah, I looked it, it up. Princess okay. and the Goblin film. Wikipedia. Wait, hold the phone. A 1990 Japanese, British, Hungarian, American animated fantasy film. What? I think it's based Ooh. off of a book, too. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, 1872 novel of the same name. Wow. I got a... I got a lot to learn. Emily has some eclectic taste. No kidding. As a child. Not as marrying Brooks, but as a child. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Griff? What's your favorite kids movie? Oh, I mean, as a kid, it was the Land Before Time movies, man. Oh, good choice. Good choice. I was sucked into those. And and even as as a really little kid, like when... When the Velociraptors would attack or something like that would that would scare me as a little kid and like that kind of thing. But you know, I I was very young to young on the Land Before Time movies, so I yeah, I definitely think those are those are my jam. Yeah, I was a big dinosaur kid. I was one of those. 
Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, was it a, was it like a Jurassic Park thing that got that going? Because I know that was that was popular when we were kids. Like Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah. No, I wasn't a lot. Well, I mean, I did watch that when I was yeah. like eight. But sure. But it, you know, it was Land Before Time when I was like four. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I mean, the, yeah. like the first Land Before Time was real early in my in my childhood. I always loved dinosaurs, and then I eventually watched Jurassic Park when I was really young. I don't know if it was eight. It might have been older than that. I don't remember when that came out. But, um, but yeah, I definitely watched Jurassic Park, was scared by it because it was too much of the T-Rex eating people and the, you know, that kind of shit. But, mm-hmm. uh, but it was the dinosaurs that I wanted to see. Yeah. And now I just see Chris Pratt t- taking the series to <laughs> new heights. Question mark. Hard question mark after that. <laughs> I mean, I maintain that Jurassic World was fine, but holy shit, did you see the next one? Jurassic- I did not see the next one. Oh, on boy. That movie sucked. <laughs> I'm guessing. All right, folks. Well, I think it's about time to wrap up the Zone of Truth. However, I know Emily kind of beat me to it in episode 75, but I wanted this to be a, like a, a nice emotional send off. For the character of Lyra. So I came here today with some salt water. And we're going to take some salt water shots. Oh boy. Uh, what do I get to take when I kill the other characters? Like, just so I know. For the love of God, do not kill Ekmer. <laughs> <laughs> Gasoline shots. <laughs> uh, I really don't want to take the salt water shot. Filling those up to the brim. Sure am. All right, so I got this Key West shot glass that's going over to Griff. I have this Arrive Logistic shot glass that's going over to Emily. Smells salty. And then I have one that just has the flag from the city of Chicago on it for me. So let's throw these back, guys. To a great character, a great end, and an even better future. Hey, at least you died in the water. Tastes oceanic. Yep. Mm-hmm. Tastes like note, being at the Jersey Shore. <laughs> and on that note, guys, you all succeeded your will save. I had a lot of fun chatting with you guys tonight. And here's to hoping that we don't have to record another of these in a long time. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, time to sign off, guys. Griffin, is there anything you want to say to the people at home? If you're a fan of Lyra, you better finish your drink. Because we'll see you in two weeks. Later. <laughs>